Children, welcome. So glad that you're in here today. Uh, there's, uh, for, for those of you who might not get the children's newsletter, uh, we're, we're not having children's ministry. I think the, the nursery and the priest nursery. Your kids are, if you've dropped your kids off somewhere, they are being watched in the nursery. I believe that's true. Um, but other kids, so glad that you're here today. So uh, right now, we are in the long season after Pentecost, uh, this season of the church calendar called Pentecost. And uh, this is also sometimes called normal time or ordinary time. And throughout this season, I love to kind of pause and point that out, uh, point out the season that we're in. Uh, it's a season that's designated by the color green, so you'll see green in the banners and on my stole. And it's to remind us of the abundant life that God has for us. Green is the color of trees and frogs and grass and bugs, and it's to remind us that God is alive, that He is at work around us, that He is on the move. Uh, again, like I said, one of the titles for this season is Ordinary Time, and that's not to mean that like ordinary in the sense of like predictable, boring, normal. It's ordinary in a sense of putting things into proper order, bringing structure to things. And as, as we reflect on the church calendar and all the beauty that, that, uh, that we learn through the scriptures and walking through the life of Christ and then um, learning about who God is and how he's revealed himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we now know that we have been given by God all the gifts necessary for abundant life in him. But this world is a chaotic world. It doesn't always feel like we have easy access to all of these things that God has given us. Uh, ours is a world of disorder, a world of sickness and danger and rebellion. That's the normal order of this world. And over against this, God offers us a new understanding, a new way of life, of finding life in Him. And God's order, His ordinary, is not always easy to recognize. And sometimes God even tells us explicitly what He's doing and it doesn't sit well with us. It rattles us. It surprises us. And that's precisely what happens in our reading from Matthew's gospel today. Jesus says something. He starts talking to his disciples in a way that rattles them, that surprises them, that unnerves them a little bit. He says things like, follow me. Okay, cool, great, let's follow Jesus. But then he says, pick up your cross and follow me. The cross is an instrument of death. That's, that's not a really exciting thing. If I were to say, hey, let's, let's go hang out around an execution chair or something, like that'd be kind of startling and offensive. We wouldn't want to do that. Jesus says, if you want to save your life, you need to be prepared to lose it. Now, these things are challenging for us because in this world, in this life, we, we want safety, we want comfort, we want peace, right? And so to hear these things goes against us. Now, I don't know about you, but our, our household is a little under pressure these days because it's, it's back to school season. And so we're having to relearn old habits. Uh, we're having to wake up on time, uh, get in the car on time, pack lunches on time. And uh, e even if you don't have kids in your home right now, I might be throwing you into kind of, you know, these traumatic memories of, of needing to get your life in order as you go to school in the day. It could be a very stressful thing. I always dreamed of missing the bus as a kid. Did anyone else have? Someone's nodding. Thank you. Yeah, great. Missing the bus. Lots of stress. School is stressful. Um, so you might be coming to church today thinking, 
man, I could, I, I need a break from that. It'd be really nice to hear a message on like Jesus, the good shepherd, or Jesus, you know, Jesus telling us my burden is light, you know, maybe wanting something a little more mellow and chill like that. And instead we come and our, and our Sunday lectionary serves for us today, Jesus saying, take up my cross. And this is jostling for us to hear, especially in a lovely season as ordinary time. Now, I'm not going to try to make that sound like a comfortable message for us, but I am going to say that Jesus, what he wants to offer to us is true life, substantial life, meaningful life, beautiful life. And what he offers to us, it's, it's not a sham. This is, this is legitimate. This is something that you and I actually get to taste and see and live into and, and, and experience with other brothers and sisters The life that Jesus offers us is worth any pursuit, and it's worth any sacrifice that we have to give. So I want to move us through this passage in Matthew. I've got three different scenes uh, that I want to walk us through. So first, now uh, leading up to this, Jesus has been doing some pretty amazing things. In fact, we've been preaching through some of these marvelous things that Jesus has been doing. And with each one of these magnificent events in the life of Jesus, it gets his disciples all the more excited about what's about to happen. And so what, what do I mean by that? Well, first, he, he gets this big crowd together, and he feeds them. He provides miraculous food for them. He multiplies bread, and he's able to feed more than 500 people in this crowd. And we learn in that moment that Jesus is able to not just provide for people, but these people are actually really ready to make him king. They got really excited about this. They thought that this was a sign that the Messiah was coming. And so they, they were getting eager to, to sort of form an army and follow after Jesus, their king. And then immediately after that, what does he do? He, he walks on the water. He calms the wind and the waves. He calms this amazing storm, this, this huge, terrifying storm. But more than that, we see in this story that even his followers, when they keep their eyes on Jesus, that they too can also expect to do the impossible. They can stand above, they themselves can also stand above the chaos. And then last week, we heard Jesus take, uh, take his disciples to a faraway sort of pagan place and then look them in the eye and say, who do you say that I am? And then they responded by saying, Peter himself, he says, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. Sort of confirming that Jesus and the disciples are on the same page. So we see this miraculous provision, this miraculous power, and now we hear this amazing purpose that they have. And so if you're a disciple, if you're in the band of of Jesus, you're probably thinking to yourself, all right, it's game time. Like there's going to be a battle that's going to happen. We're following this guy who can provide for armies, who can calm the wind and the waves, and, and he even doesn't balk when we call him the Messiah. Surely something's going to happen now. But then Jesus changes the tone. He says that something else is going to happen. He says, yes, we're going to go to Jerusalem, but we're not going to be picking up weapons. Instead, the religious leaders, well, they're going to come at me. They're going to, uh, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be handed over into the hands of these religious leaders, and they will kill me, and they will put me to death. So Jesus reframes their expectations he shows them that his plan, his, his desire, his purpose for why he came is, is different than what they're expecting. So what do we see secondly in this? 
Well, to say that the disciples are confused by Jesus would, would be a bit of an understatement, right? Like they're frustrated at him. They're mad at him. And what the disciples are all feeling, Peter puts into words. Peter says, uh, or, or, yeah, Peter says to him, he takes Jesus aside. And imagine the audacity of this. Peter kind of puts his arm around Jesus, pulls him aside and says, uh, Jesus, I, I have some concerns about what you've been saying. Um, I, I, it's time for me to set you straight in this moment. You see, Peter hears Jesus speaking of conflict and suffering, and, and Peter takes it upon himself to set Jesus straight. And it's, it's essential for us to understand what exactly Peter is putting on the line in this moment. Because yes, Jesus came here and is for his mission, and his mission is to rescue humanity from sin, to rescue every man, woman, and child from the clutches of evil, sin, and death. And so when he sets his face to Jerusalem, it's because he's going there to come face to face with these powers. And he's going to uh, uh, allow all of this evil to be pushed, put upon him, to allow himself to be crushed by these things. But then on the third day, he will raise to life, proving that he is victorious over evil and the powers of death itself. So all of that's on the line. When Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, don't go to Jerusalem, this is if Peter is thwarting the plan of Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, because Peter's words in this moment are no different than the words that Satan said to Jesus when he was being tempted in the desert. Peter is effectively saying, you can avoid all of this pain, Jesus. You've proven yourself to be uh, able to, to draw up glory on your own. So why would you have to go through this suffering, painful, uncomfortable route to get there? Just go, st- have a shortcut. Just go straight to glory, Jesus. So it's so interesting to me that how quickly Peter's mentality has changed. You know, last week or in the, in the passage before this, we hear Peter proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus says, he, he says, this is a miracle that you're able to even say this right now. This is a sign of God the Father at work in your heart in this moment. How amazing is this? But then the very next moment, Peter, the, the prince of the disciples, has this happened to him. He becomes the mouthpiece of Satan. And I think for all of us, that should serve as a pretty big reality check. Like, I, I don't know about you, but I, I kind of imagine that at some point in my spiritual journey, I'm going to kind of hit this plateau where certain, you know, temptations and whatever don't even apply to me anymore. That I'm going to be so holy, so spiritual, so, like, super pastor or whatever, that, like, those things don't come at me. But what we learn from this is we're still fragile. Like, we still succumb to temptations. Like, we should always be throwing ourselves before the Lord, asking for his grace and his protection in our lives. You know, like, there's not going to be a moment in our lives in which we mature beyond temptation. So may we always continually be coming before the Lord, humbling ourselves before him. So how does Jesus respond to him? Well, he responds pretty harshly. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to my mission. That word hindrance is an interesting one. It's, it, it means like a stumbling block, um, but also in, in the Greek, it's, it's like the word like scandalon, I think is the word. 
like the word that we get scandalized from. Like this is, this is scandalous, what Peter is saying here. This is, this is something that's going to thwart my entire mission. The entire plan of salvation is on the line here, we see. So what does the third scene look like? Well, Jesus then turns to the disciples and he clarifies what their work is, what it's to look like. He says, if anyone were to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So not only does Jesus reset the expectations of what it means to be Messiah, he's also resetting the expectations of what it means to be a disciple. He says, mine is the way of humility, of suffering, and of sacrifice. So why does Jesus do this? Why does Jesus allow himself to even go down this path? And then why does he direct his disciples to do the same? Why doesn't Jesus just skip over this whole suffering thing? Well, brothers and sisters, it's because of his great love for us. This is why Jesus does this. He actually leans into the same kind of suffering and brokenness that you and I experience. Ours is a God who empathizes with the poor and the suffering of humanity. He sees your weariness, he sees your brokenness, and he wants to get close to you so that when you cry out to him, you know that he is a God who's felt the same things that you have felt. He's felt those same temptations that you have felt. He knows what the brokenness is like. He knows what the the betrayal is like. And so he doesn't speak to you in this sort of like pedantic sort of way that just kind of like they're there. No, he knows what this feels like. I mean, that's exactly what we heard in our passage from Jeremiah. Did you pay attention to that passage? Did you hear that? It was kind of striking the way it begins because Jeremiah, he says, I wish I had never been born, he says. I mean, how, what was the exact? Woe to me, my mother, that you bore me, a man of strife and contention of the whole land. I, I have not lent nor have I borrowed, yet all of them curse me. This guy is, he's borderline suicidal. I mean, he, and I don't use that word lightly. Like, he feels miserable in this moment. God has given him a calling And he feels like he's failed. And so what happens there? God comes to him. He finds him. And he says, if you return, I will restore you, in verse 19. And that word return and restore in the Hebrew is actually the same word, shuv. It can also be translated as repent. Return to me and I will return to you. Restore to me and I will restore to you. Repent to me and I will repent to you. Do you hear the the compassion in the voice of the Lord in that moment? He finds his servant, Jeremiah, and he gets to his level and he says, come back to me. He's, He's wooing him back to himself. And he does that with all of us. He's done that to me. He does that with you. This is the heart of our Lord. He is the God of the broken. He does not shy away from from these things. He leans into it. He leans into it. He knows our pain. He knows our suffering. But not only that. He's not just a God who empathizes with us. He's not just a God who knows what it feels like to be a human being like us. He is a God who defeats this as well. He defeats us. He is victorious over this. You see, the the disciples, they thought that Jesus was coming to save them from suffering. But instead, what Jesus does is he saves them through suffering. He goes through suffering. He goes to the cross and he allows all of the betrayal and, 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 and this beating to happen upon him. He, and spiritually speaking, all of the sin of the world is placed upon him. He, he takes that pain upon him and he allows it to crush himself so that he can satisfy the curse of pain. 
The debt that you and I could never pay, he himself pays. And by his glorious resurrection, he shows us that he can overcome death, sin, and the grave, that no power of evil can thwart him or his plans. And then he extends a hand to us and he says, follow me, come after me, shape your life in my way, come after me, take up your cross and follow after me. And through this, I will show you the way of everlasting life. He is the God of the broken, the victorious God of the broken. And his victory outpaces, outstrips, and outlasts any suffering that this world can throw at us. So, I wonder what this looks like. What does a cross-shaped, Jesus-following, self-sacrificing community look like? Is that us? Is it restoration? Are we a community that has a reputation for laying down our lives for one another? Do we have a reputation of following the humble king, the humble Lord Jesus? What kind of reputation does our church have? What should we look like? Well, I think this is where our reading from Romans can be incredibly helpful. Paul picks up some of this same language and he says, he says, present yourselves as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Those who continually lay down our lives for the sake of one another. And then look at the fruit that comes from that. We're able to have gifts of prophecy. We're able to speak words of truth, spirit-filled words of truth to one another. We're able to teach one another from the Holy Scriptures, modeling our lives according to Jesus Christ and his beauty and his glory. We're able to exhort one another. We're able to sacrifice our our resources for one another for the sake of the kingdom. We're able to have lives of, of zeal and passion and purpose. We're able to have lives filled with service and acts of mercy with one another, which leads to joy. I want to be a part of a community like that. And I get glimmers of it. I, I mean, I, I hope you know that, that I see this in our congregation, that this is a place where we, we love one another and we do, we do that well. And may we increase in it, though. May the Holy Spirit just continue to pour himself upon us and form us more and more into his likeness, shaping us like Christ and filling us with all of this fruit that we read about from that passage in Romans. So in a moment, I'm going to invite you to come forward we're going to have, um, we're going to celebrate um, Holy Communion with one another. And this is a time in our tradition in which we, we break bread as a reminder to us that Christ himself has been broken for us. And also, we, we pour the wine, and so that's, that's so that we can be reminded that he pours out his life for us. But then we consume these things, his body and his blood, and we become more like that which we consume. We ourselves become like the broken one. We ourselves become like the one who's been poured out. But also through this, we become his body. His life flows through our veins. We're shaped more and more into the likeness of Christ. By his wounds, we are healed, brothers and sisters. So truly, may this be a community of healing and of restoration, of constantly pouring ourselves out for one another, but also for the sake of the world around us they might see the love of Jesus on full display here. And then the other beautiful thing about this table, about about what we do every single week, is that it also points us to the future. A day in which Christ will come again and all evil will be purged from our midst forever and ever. 
And we will, the, the, the scriptures say that the, the nations will be healed in that moment. What a time of celebration and glory and goodness in that final day. So may we get a foretaste of that, a reminder of that here, now, and today. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for walking among us. Lord, when you see the brokenness of this world, you, you come close to it, and you even come face to face with evil itself. And you are not afraid of it, Lord Jesus. But Lord, you allowed it to crush you. You died upon the cross, Lord Jesus Christ, paying a debt that we ourselves could not pay, and then showing us the way to everlasting life by, coming, by raising to life again, conquering the grave, Lord Jesus Christ, So thank you for paving the way and inviting us to walk after you. Jesus, may this place, restoration, may we be a place that lives up to our name. May we be a community where the broken are are pieced back together again, where those who are dead are able to come back alive again, Lord Jesus Christ, where we can be um, filled with, with purpose and dignity, Lord, that comes from you, Lord Christ. May this be a community that abounds with your beautiful and vibrant life. Form us more into your likeness, Lord Christ. We ask all of this in your name and for your glory. Amen. Amen.